says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020 by the Buys. Joining me to preview an absolutely massive, massive slate of representative games is my good mate, 60s. How you doing, big fella? We have a lot of football to discuss. Mate, it's wall-to-wall footy. It started on Wednesday with the Lebanon and Malta clash and everything's available through broadcasters. It goes right through to Sunday night. What a feast of footy. Oh, my goodness. How many games? We've got three, uh, ignoring the, the three games we've played, which are the two under-19s clashes, boys and girls, and that Lebanon-Malta game. We've got three uh, women's test matches or state of origin games to be played. Then we've got the men's state of origin game, and then we've got another three Pacifica test matches. So absolute smorgasbord of representative football. If you're a rugby league fan, there's no reason you aren't happy this weekend. Absolutely. Hence why we are ecstatic, even though the Eels aren't playing. Exactly. But before we get to all those games, we're going to catch up with a long-lost friend, 60s. Joining the tip sheet by way of our little hotline is a longtime friend and Paramount Eels insider, Joey Grimer. It is an absolute blast to have you back on the show, mate. How are you doing? Hello, Jono. It feels such a long time um, that I haven't spoken to you guys. And- you made me day. I've had a real busy week and talking to you guys just it's like taking a nice little nap it just well, relaxes you say busy you say busy week but you are a very busy man it has been busy weeks and months for you and it almost never stops overseeing all the pathways and the elite talent development um yeah which, yeah it's gonna be good to catch up with yeah thanks thanks Jono. um yeah we've, we've got a lot of games and had a lot of um, 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 development squad games, men. Um, we've got a uh, program that we started three weeks ago for our under-14s and under-15s development squads where we're having a gala day in the first week of the school holidays where we're going to play a, um, a Western Sydney gala day against uh, Penrith, the Bulldogs, and although it's Western Sydney, we've invited the Cronulla Sharks. So that's occupied a lot of the time. Um, we've got 60 players in our 14s and 61 in our under-15s, and we've been training for the last, as I've said, that two weeks, um, preparing for that. So the logistics of organising that, we've got 120 players that we need to arrange jerseys, shorts, socks, and with that, the logistics of it is monumental. Yeah, we can only we can only imagine about the enormity of that and uh, how you've been happy with how those development squads have been uh, training and preparing, mate? Yeah, it's been excellent. Um, It gives us a really good gauge. The under-14s development squad program is purely a skill-based program where it's the beginning of the communication and the understanding of what it is to be a Parramatta Elite Pathways player Um, It gives us an insight as to we've identified with the coaches and clubs who the next best 13 and 14-year-olds are. And we invite them in and start the process of familiarisation with our our, our coaching philosophies, 
But with the 14s, majority of them are under 13. Some of them are turned 14s. But it just gives them, gives them a, a better understanding or something to look forward to when they wear the Parramatta shirt. Um, all the communications go to their email address. You know, they need to be on time. They need to notify if they're running late or if they're not going to be at training. And it just allows us to get two years of expectations uh, in the way of being courteous and manner, having manners and being grateful um, to Parramatta and their parents and understanding, um, you know, the, the challenges that they have to get there. They, they need to not make sacrifices but make choices about getting from school to training. And it just gives us a, a, a further 12 months where we get them in early um, and then when they develop into the under-15s, some of them are only a year away from being identified and selected in our Harold Matthews Cup program. So not only um, are we identifying players of their on-field ability, but their off-field idiosyncrasies, the, the way that they can communicate. Are they uh, effective in, in getting back to us or notifying us if they're going to be late or, um, you know, making sure they wear the right gear because that stuff's really important because um, when they get to the Harold Matthews level, if that stuff isn't um, ingrained in them, then we're having to spend a lot of time or the coaches and the staff have to spend a lot of time that they don't have to um, um, help these players understand what it is to be a Parramatta person. So with that, um, the 15s have been uh, great. The 14s have been excellent in their buying and, and appreciation. Um, we had five weeks at the end of beginning of uh, this year with them, and we cover off the last four weeks, and then we play this gala day. So the program that I've uh, introduced um, is, is a minimum of eight training programs with a minimum of three games, and that will be ticked off uh, as I said, the first week of the school holidays. Uh, on top of that, the other thing that's keeping me busy, it's our inaugural under-16s and under-18s female programs, which also commenced two weeks ago, which has been an absolute eye-opener and game-changer. The fact that these young ladies from within our district have received the Parramatta shirt and Parramatta shorts um, it's very exciting to see. And on the back of our successful Tasha Gale season and on the back of our inaugural NRLW season and on the back of our uh, a number of our female players being selected in the representative round, it's a perfect storm. So that's what's occupying my time at this stage, man. Well, mate, we've had a, a big week already and it's going to get bigger on this weekend in terms of some of the Eels players um, that are, are playing the football this week. That's now already included the Lebanon team and the Blues teams that all recorded wins. Uh, what was your take on the, their performances? Well, I'll start off um, with the Lebanese um, side. We had uh, Jabril Kalachi represent Lebanon at 5'8". Then we had Ellie. I know he's one of your favourites, Jono. Um, Ellie represent Lebanon as a back rower. Um, they were convincing winners against, I would sad to say this, against my Maltese team. Um, but Jabril was probably 
um, one of the better players on the field. And to play with his brother, uh, Kane Kalachi, uh, it would have been a very, very special moment, not only for both those two men, but the whole Kalachi family. Um, they um, they did very well in a side that were just too, too, too good for Malta. Um, if we uh, um, fast forward to, to, to last night's games, we had uh, four girls um, in our Tasha, from our Tasha Gower represent. Um, unfortunately, Rosemary Beckett uh, was 18th person and she didn't get to take um, the field. Yeah, but, yeah, but uh, the other three young ladies that played Tasha Gale, well, outside the, the, the little fullback who scored that amazing try. Um, 109 metres. Oh, incredible. Um, they were, uh, our girls were absolutely amazing. And um, uh, again, talking about Larry, your friend, but you, you can, uh, you're the only person in Australia who can say his last name, John. Larry just for your name, how is it? Larry Moagatutia. Yes, good boy. Off the bench uh, for the 19s. I thought he had a very solid game. He was very, very good. And I, I would say that Larry and Jabril's games this year were the best that they've played this year. So it's really pleasing that we had a number of um, uh, local girls and, and, and boys from our pathways involved in the, the crux of uh, international round. And from outside the pathways in that 19s game, uh, obviously Ruben Charrington joining us for the NRLW. Correct. She played dummy half. And this was the first I've seen it, so I'm not sure if it was an incorrect announcement, but the, the website for the Eels have said that Cassie Tohuhiku also joining the Parramatta Eel because she was one of the listed Eels reps there. That's correct. Yes, that's right. So the other winger that was uh, opposite Patessa Leo, who had a very good game. Uh, I know Sixties was really big on Talisha Maeva's game. Um, I thought Leo was heavily involved too. So it was really good to see those from our internal pathways, those girls really kick on and have a great representative debut. And notwithstanding the, the, the job that Ryan Walker and his entire Tasha Gale staff have done, um, Ryan Walker was the assistant coach to that squad as well. So um, um, players and staff have been um, understandably rewarded and recognised for their achievements this year. Well, you preempted me beautifully there because I did want to talk about Ryan Walker. Um, obviously, Parramatta Eels, Tasha Gale coach, assistant coach in New South Wales on Thursday night. Way back in 2021, we spoke to you about him and you you sang very high praises about him. The Gale would then go on to have a, a difficult campaign for that season but then last, I'm sorry, last season just passed this year, 2022. They've been fantastic, set all sorts of records for the club, got through to one game short of the grand final. I think it's fair to say he's probably uh, lived up to that standard that you set for him way back. Yeah, and I think that we haven't seen the best of Ryan. He was um, on the staff for the City New South Wales team. So not only is he being recognised internally from our club, but he's being recognised externally from a lot of the major stakeholders within female sport. Uh, it's uh, it, it's good to see that you that we do have such recognition that's going on. And talking about recognition, let's just go back a couple of weeks ago to the presentation night. I mean, the big talking point that night was how sharp you were looking at, at that evening. But apart from that, it was also good to see Kevin Wise being honoured and recognised for his decades of work at the Parramatta Reels. Yeah, well, Kevin is a um, was a stable uh, for a lot of players and staff in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And Kevin uh, Wise um, had 
spent more than 30 years at this club in a variety of roles. In fact, Kevin was the first person to open his home um, and um, tutor and mentor young men from regional and country areas. So he's a pioneer of that, but more so he was a figure that um, just got things done in a way that um, rugby league isn't done uh, anymore. The level of professionalism within the junior programs and the level of, um, you know, we, we would turn up to a game when I played and when I coached and we would be, um, we would intimidate the other opposition by how we were well presented and the foods and, and just the way that the game days ran. And that was a credit to Kevin. And he was my first coach uh, in 1988 when I uh, we won the Harold Matthews program and um, um, was just an instrumental person to a lot of people that have uh, progressed, whether it's in rugby league or in the corporate world, um, you know, and such a mentor and such a, a meaningful person. And when I bounced the idea, Mark, Mark O'Neill and I spoke about it, not only did we have uh, Kevin Wise that night, we had Auntie Kay Fitzhenry, who was a, um, a, a real... Um, um, she, she was a person that was around during successful days under Brian Smith and was also an integral part, more so to the more senior programs. But having those two people um, present on the night, in particular Kevin Wise, which we gave him a, uh, a signed frame jersey in appreciation for all the work he did, um, capped off a wonderful evening, a wonderful evening. Yeah. Mate, we were we were certainly very fortunate to be placed at the same table with both of those guests of honour on the night, and uh, we we are we we've been getting to know Kevin quite well because he sits directly behind us at at Combank Stadium, so <laughs> we're we're always engaging in conversations with Kevin, and and to that end, you, and you mentioned about uh, being a mentor to people, not just uh, on the field but off it as well, and. He takes great pride in the achievements of Parramatta people mm-hmm. in 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 their lives um, outside of football. That's right. It's not just about and, getting to the NRL. It's about becoming the best person you can be for Kevin. And, and that's a little bit about Kevin. Um, Kevin spoke about um, his program where, um, again, a pioneer. He was the first one as his role within Parramatta working with our junior pathways in the 80s and 90s to have a um, um, a reading and writing program. A lot of our players were unfortunately, you know, under the level that was required at their age. And he had them tested and, and uh, mentored and um, had tutors brought in to assist them. And uh, I'm sure a lot of those people went on um, to do, to be successful, not in rugby league, but in uh, the general corporate world uh, because of him. And he tells a story that one of the players, and I won't tell you the play, but one of the players couldn't read effectively. And all he wanted to do was learn how to read so he could read a bedtime story to his own kids. Wow. That, that's, uh, I mean, that, that just talks about, again, the impact of, of rugby league on individuals and communities because that's that's really one of those um, almost like a pay it forward moment, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like for, for what can be done for the future. And people don't forget those things. No. Uh, it's, 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 
and every club has a Kevin Wise, but um, no one um, has a Kevin Wise, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone has a person that goes over and above in their club, but no one has a Kevin Wise like Parramatta has. Now, you already out, laid out to us at the start of this chat that we're having that you're still uh, so busy, you know, six ways from any given Sunday heading into the back half of this year because there's so much work to be done below the junior reps establishing those pathways for both boys and girls. But in many ways, the awards night is a culmination of all the hard work you do in a given year, mate. What pleased you the most about the 2022 Junior Rep Awards? Yeah, I think that's an easy one. I think it's on the back of the success of the girls – um, in our Tasha Gale, the amount of females identified in the team of the year. Um, as you know, guys, uh, there is a certain criteria which are awarded to players in all our three programs, being Harold Matthews, SG Ball and Tasha Gale. Those players are identified statistically on the previous game. And we pick a side of 17 players, um, of which all players and all um, um, grading levels are eligible. And to have uh, 10 or 11 young ladies in the team of the year and the excitement um, of all peers of the Tasha Gale congratulating and, and recognising who got the awards uh, was the highlight of the night. And you guys were there, the electricity in the room. Yeah. Uh, those young ladies received the award, um, was really proud uh, for the whole club. Um, but I want to give special mention, we issued an award to a young lady, Quinny McVeigh. Now, Quinn was a young lady. This was her second year in the Eels, Tasha Gale. Um, but unfortunately for medical circumstances, she was una unable to participate. Um, but we thought it was very special or very important to recognise this young lady travelled up from um, south of Wollongong three days a week and every game day, knowing that she wasn't going to play. And um, with school and, and work and, um, and accompanied by not being able to participate with the Tarsagale girls, it would have been a tough, it was a tough challenge and road, not only for her, um, but for her entire family. But the culture and the sisterhood that she had with those girls and the staff were very important for her getting through the problems and getting through the tough times. And I didn't recognise how important or how much the award meant to Quinn until her father reached out and advised me that her receiving that award on the night in front of not only her peers but the entire Junior Rep Pathways program, um, it was extended to me that, explained to me that um, what that action actually had achieved toward Quinn, uh, we'll, we will never know the enormity of it. He was so appreciative. So that that present moment or um, Quinny getting um, um, recognised for her going over and above um, for the Tasha Gale team um, tied in with the um, success 
that our Tashigawa program had, those two were the highlights of the presentation night. There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there, mate? Because that speaks to the perseverance and tenacity of Quinn, as well as the culture and the soul of the the team itself and that you know Ryan Walker's cultivated and the team itself grew on the back of their success and like you said their sisterhood uh, absolutely the the um, um, the wellness and well-being um, has really been the forefront of all our programs headed by David Gower and Arnie Chrissy and we've been very fortunate that because of their intervention, um, we've been able to provide different levels of support and hence um, have, have this wonderful culture within our junior rep program off the field. Sometimes success in, isn't always measured by the amount of China in your trophy cabinet, and this is one great example. Mm-hmm. Mate, yeah, it was, a, it was a special moment, and we... And we look back on the season and and all those times that we saw Quinn out there uh, on the sidelines and cheering the team on and being you know part of that um, encouragement and part of that culture of the team during the season. It, it was it was great to see. But there is now some really big news that you've got to share about uh, about a pathways program that's just kicked off. Yes, mate. I'm very very um, excited to you know, talk to you and your listeners about our JETS program. JETS, or the acronym is Junior Elite Talent Squad. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, we haven't done this program for two years, uh, but this is the third year since me looking after the Pathways program um, that um, um, we're going to go ahead. We commenced last Monday and the criteria is nothing more than Brad and myself and the recruitment staff sitting down and identifying who we feel are the players in our junior rep pathways that are most likely or more successful to go into an opportunity of full-time training. And there are a number of, of different dynamics we look at. We look at their uh, their shape, their size, their skill, their attitude, their, um, 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 their, their manners, all, all the things um, that we're trying to encapsulate in a Parramatta person. So with that, we, we narrowed it down to 14 people. And these 14 people are people that are out of our uh, Harold Matthews and Estibor program. The beauty about this program, and we call it the, 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 the blue event or the blue chip program, is that, um, they, that, that these young men come in and they spend eight weeks or one day a week and they spend a total of eight weeks, and they are coached by full-time and NRL staff. So to give you an understanding, last Monday we invited the players in and um, we took them on the field, and on the field was Brad Arthur, there was um, Stephen Murphy, and there was Ryan Carr. Um, After they did a warm-up and NRL type warm-up by Brendan Inkster. They did an on-field session for 45 minutes, which was um, collected 
by Craig Crossman, our video analysis, um, by the drone, and then they went into the gym and done a 45-minute session with our NRL strength conditioner, Brendan Inkster. So they are getting the best coaching available to them. And next week, week two, whilst the boys are on the field, we invite their parents and um, um, or a parent to come in and they'll be given a brief discussion on diet and nutrition. Um, we felt that it's no use, no use preaching to the players because the players are not the ones that, that cook or prepare yeah. meals. So Kelsey Hutton, our NRL um, nutritionist, uh, is going to give the mum and dad a 45-minute talk on um, hydration, nutrition and diet because who knows that um, players are so close in their ability and their speed and size, sometimes the, you can get an unfair advantage um, through diet, nutrition and hydration as well as sleep. So they're the things that we're going to cover off whilst all the boys are on the training field. Part of the um, uh, coaching or, or receiving feedback is that every training session, as I said, is collected by Craig Crossman and um, it'll be cut up and shared with them prior to the commencement of their next session. So the level of detail, the level of feedback is going to be, well, none better. And uh, that may give us an opportunity or may give us an advantage to fast track their development uh, whilst they're still playing school football and, and, and junior league football, um, it may fast track their um, development or their push forward into that next level of promotion. And this is... and that also really mirrors what they would experience at the NRL level, mm-hmm. wouldn't it, when they're in the full-time squad and their uh, training sessions are videoed and cut up and then they go back, coaches go back over and give them feedback about what they're, what they're doing right or wrong or whatever. Exactly. Um, they get to use the NRL training field. They get the NRL training staff. They get the NRL training gym. They get the um, theatre room. They get access to the full-time staff, um, the subject matter experts in their field to look after them and, and provide feedback. They get skin folds. They'll get diet and nutrition plans, things that ordinarily wouldn't be available to the detail um, to other young men or women um, at other clubs. And this is something that Sixes and I speak about a lot on and off the record when it comes to the tip sheet is uh, when it when it comes to the NRL preseason, you'll see, like you said, Joey, the difference between these young talents, these young men and women too for the NRLW is so razor thin in terms of you know pure talent that these steps you take here can often be a significant difference maker when it comes to preparation and hitting that ground running for full-time football. And we've seen really talented players fizzle out because they didn't prepare correctly. Likewise, we've seen you know really solid players or good players elevate themselves even higher because they took the correct steps to prepare for the NRL. And this is like laying the founding, the foundational steps for the, the best of the best that we have in our system to make sure that they are properly prepared and are, are best forearmed ahead of a transition to full-time football. Correct. And you guys have witnessed um, uh, the first and second year. I mean, the first year that I introduced this program, we had players come through playing Harold Matthews in SG Ball. We had um, Dylan Brown. We had uh, Oregon Cathursi. 
We had Ethan Parry. Uh, we had a, then Stefano Yurikomano. Um, we had a Bailey Beyond the Odo. And in the most recent um, Jets program, um, we had a Trey Mooney. We had a Jake Arthur. We had a um, Samuel Luizio, Will Panasini, Sean Russell. Um, the transfer rate into full-time football from the Jets program is about 45%. So if we've identified, um, um, you know, up to 20 players and we get 40% of those players to full-time, if you can do that consecutively for two or three years, essentially um, you're going to have one-third of your NRL squad as genuine juniors. Yeah, and Not it's a number getting- uh, within our coaching philosophies uh, through our elite programs, but we're just putting the final piece to the puzzle and giving them the extra detail um, from uh, being around our NRL facilities and more so our NRL staff and more so again um, with Brad Brad Arthur overseeing it. And it's one of those numbers, 45%, that when you put it out there, it doesn't seem that impressive, but when you consider the junior representative pathways as an entirety and how many players each and every club will churn through, you know, year on year, pushing them through, trying to progress them. 45% turns those players into a coin toss essentially, which is huge. You know, if you're, if you're getting close to 50% progression from your elite, like your elite identified players, like you said, it it, it lays down the foundational work for an NRL squad to keep being competitive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it, it not only it goes both ways. There's a return part to it too. It gives an opportunity for Brad uh, and his staff to see what he's working with or uh, what is uh, around the corner. Um, Brad has a really good understanding already of all the pathway programs and the players within them. But it just gives them a um, an opportunity for eight one hour sessions on the field to get a real understanding of how they think, you know, can they execute under pressure? Mm-hmm. Do they fully understand what we uh, want them to do on the field? And then there's the stuff off the field, the diet, nutrition, there's the financial management part. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity and it's, that's why it's the, the blue ribbon event. Yeah, and and we've seen as you as you um, spoke about before, we've seen these programs in the past when uh, before COVID hit and the players participating in the training session. We've also seen some of the off-field stuff that's happened with the mentoring and the education and advice that goes hand in hand with it. We don't want to give away too many trade secrets at all from the Eels, so we don't want to go into great depth about what's what's going on there. But it's certainly it's a it's a whole player um, uh, program, really, isn't it? I mean, you've got that that football feature, but it's there's there's also plenty that goes into them as as people planning not just their football future, but their their future around football. Oh, and and that's that's the biggest thing. If someone ever said to me, Joey, what's the biggest thing that changed in rugby league over the last half decade? I would say the level of coaching or mentoring away from the footy field. Um, We're doing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of um, new initiatives through wellness and well-being through, as I said, through Dave Gower and Arnie Chrissy 
Um, uh, we're doing a lot more education um, away from rugby league because you mentioned about five minutes ago, there's only a small amount of people that are actually going to make it in rugby league. And, you know, when we've got a duty to look after those players and staff that don't necessarily go on to somewhere or go on to be successful in rugby league. So it's part of our um, um, our philosophy here, away from the footy field. So in the last half hour, we, we had a bit of a snapshot. We explained what they do when they come in as under-14s. They play through our local... Uh, lead pathways, our Harold Matthews, Eshi Ball and Tasha Gale. And then we've got the Blue Ribbon event, which is our Jets, and that's when they progress. So that gives your listeners a real good understanding and uh, an opportunity to understand, um, you know, how enormous this program, uh, our programs are. I did a uh, comparison um, to other programs that are being run with other districts and to give you an example um, of how big our program is, John, I'm going to throw to you, okay? I'm going to ask you a question and you see what the answer is. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of background. We've got an under-14s, under-15s, under-16s, Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Tasha Gale, Jersey Fleck, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, from November... 8th till April 6th, that's the crux of our elite programs and training. Can you give a number? Can you guess a number in all those programs squashed together, how many hours they would consume? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, Oh. <laughs> good luck with this oh my goodness because you're, you're talking you're talking training a couple of days a week you're talking game day you're talking no no not, not game day this is only training oh Jono. training uh yep. so you got 14s 15s and then the the rep the actual representative um, teams yep so 14s 15s you've got uh ball matt scale oh my goodness um so that's five five teams there you're probably looking at two or three hours training per session uh, when you factor in getting there and setting up and whatnot. So, whoa. multiply by about uh, 25. Yeah. So, I'll put you out of your misery. Um, the total hours is 656 yep. or, or 28 continuous days back to back. Far out. So, yep. from November till April, all those programs squashed together is 28 continuous days. And to give you another stat, our staffing from our under-14s to our game day, so we're talking under-14s, under-15s, 16s, Harold Matthews, SG Ball, Tasha Gale, Lisa Fiola, under-16s and 18s female, Jersey Fleet, Jets and game day, 105 staff. That is that's That is so The scale of it is really hard to... To get a grip on, isn't it? It's so much people power, so much uh, you know effort involved to keep these things just churning and humming along. And I'll give you the last one, and this will really, um, really give you a snapshot. Out of, I would suggest that if you said who are the biggest junior rep pathways programs, you would think 
knights, bulldogs, panthers, eels, and magpies. Would that be fair? I, I, d- I definitely would have leaned immediately to Parramatta and Penrith, Western Suburbs too. Um, and then, yeah, probably the scope of Newcastle too, you can't ignore. Okay. Comparisons to other junior rep and pathways programs, this is the players, okay, the number of players that are within their development programs and elite pathways. In fifth place, you have Newcastle Knights, 170 players. In fourth place, you have the Magpies at 229 players. And in bronze place, you have the Bulldogs, which have 255 players. And in silver spot or second place, you have the Panthers in 272. And gold medal goes to the Eels, who have a massive 381 players in their development and pathways programs. So that's uh, um, 111, uh, 109 extra players than what the Panthers do. Well, that, that speaks to just the scope of what's being done. And, and I think it also might be a hint to the investment that we're putting into the female pathways as well in comparison to uh, a couple of those clubs. Well, the female pathways, um, 51% of Australian population are female. They're starving to be included and have these opportunities awarded to them. We've just seen the explosion of female, not only rugby league, but female sport, AFLW, Soccer W, um, NRLW, and the opportunities there are now in Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games and World Cups and things like that. Um, it's a changing dynamic out there. And if we don't jump on, we miss out. And we've got a real opportunity uh, to jump on the success and build on what we've done in the last 12, 24 months to really, really um, um, be the, the front runner or the leaders in that female space, not to withdraw or take anything away from our male space. Um, we just need to work harder and uh, some of the results um, weren't favourable this year, uh, particularly with our SU ball. Um, but you know what? It just gives you, you and your listeners an idea of the enormity of our program. Well, you know what? If we'd had um, the the year that we didn't want to have, which which has been acknowledged there with the uh, with the, the the male pathways, if you're standing still then you, you're concerned that nothing's going to change. But when you're talking about that investment now that's coming into the JETS program, then you're starting to talk about what's being done to achieve better results in the coming years, not just for the uh, future NRL players, but you know, also for the, the um, junior rep teams themselves. And, and, and let's face it, the, you know, I, I still see junior rep programs as as the important role is producing future uh, top grade players, NRL players. But you know, the winning the titles is like the little extra cream, or, or making finals is the is the cream on that, and is maybe indicative of the standard of players that you've got there. Um, and you know, having those Jets programs is is going to put the that little bit of an edge back into those junior rep teams. I think the other thing, um, 62, if you go to the 
uh, the, the other end of the spectrum, since my involvement as the Pathways Coaching Director four years ago, we won't see the benefit of introducing the under-14s development squad program until next year, given that that's going to be the fourth year or that that's going to be the original 14-year-olds that we identified way back then or way back when. So um, it was always going to be an opportunity that um, the lag is going to be three years, um, but we'll start to see a lot more benefits um, and, you know, the the successfulness uh, we'll just have to wait and see how that transpires over four months. Now, and I don't want to keep hark- harking back on this, but, you know, COVID, because COVID's affected everyone, COVID's affected every club, every every uh, player that's in a, uh, that plays junior sport and, and especially the pathways who've, who've missed out on, um, you know, they've got half competitions in or they, they haven't had their full season away from, uh, from junior reps, so there's been a, a, an element of of their time that's been missing. We haven't had the Jets program for two years, so in saying that we're going to see these, you know, start to see the benefit of it. I even look further down the track and go, you know what? I I, I think the the best is still, you know, like it, it's 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 ahead of us. Yes, and um, I, I really believe that that's the case. Um, yes, uh, I'm disappointed with our results with our SG ball um, this year. And, you know, we missed the finals last year as well by one spot. Um, but that's something that, you know, we need to fix up and we're working toward. Um, I Part of the reason for that is I feel that um, two years ago, we had uh, a group of uh, four young men um, in Jake Arthur, Samuel Luizio, Sean Russell and Will Penasini all play SG ball a year young. But the following year, their right year of SG ball, um, it was decided that those guys would go into full time. And because of COVID, they played reserve grade and um, a lot of first grade or a lot of NRL training. We never really replaced those four people. So they jumped straight from, they didn't play SG ball their right year. They didn't play Jersey flag and they went straight into full-time or knock-on effect cup. So to have your your fullback, um, your centre, your halfback, and a utility um, taken out of any team would put us put a stop in the potential that that team would have had. Normally, they would go from SG ball into Jersey flag into reserve grade, so they've actually jumped two grades, and that's something that we've identified. And we could have planned a little bit better around, um, but we're looking to uh, fill that void and uh, really uh, develop and, and move forward in that under-19 space next year. And, and really that does become the conundrum, I think, for uh, player development and junior reps because you are having players and it and it's – look, it's even happened this year where there's been players who have skipped SG ball essentially and gone to Jersey flag um, where the, the talented – uh, Harold Matt's team uh, and players from the from the year before, or or players who could have had another year in SG ball but have gone to uh, gone up to Jersey Flag. 
that's that's really that that hard part about development is that it doesn't always pay dividends in terms of winning junior competitions. Its dividends are in the NRL players or high level players that are produced. And this is this is the ongoing argument. Uh, you know, would uh, those four players in particular? You know, we talk about Will, Jake, and Sean. Would they have had the presence that they have now in whether they're playing NRL or knock-on effect cup? Or would we even understand their ability if they didn't get thrust upon them to play reserve grade or first grade two years ago? If they did transition in the most logical way or the most traditional way in SG ball, jersey fleet, knock-on effect cup first grade, would we have seen or would they be the player? And another person, Sam Walker, would he be the player he is now if the Roosters didn't rush him? And, you know, I shouldn't talk for the Roosters because we're Parramatta, but it's the same same type of situation. Um, if the player is good enough, should we put them against the best and train with the best players and play against the best players? Or should we keep them in their own age group and let them dominate before they go up? Because sometimes the best lessons learned are the hard lessons. Yeah, yep. 100%. Because otherwise, if you're following, you know, you just play age group football until you graduate, this would be Dylan Brown's rookie year in the NRL. Yeah, there you he'd, go. He'd be playing Jersey yeah. Flick instead of playing for New Zealand. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I- I think I think acceleration comes down to first of all the individual. Do they have that maturity to be able to cope with the, uh, the with the demands? Now, this is where I see it goes hand in hand with the Jets program because those players that you talked about, they were all graduates of the Jets program. So, I if they hadn't done the Jets program, then maybe maybe they might have needed to go through each stage. But I think the Jets program prepared them for the demands of NRL training because they all came into that NRL squad and 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 had to take on the demands of full-time training even before they became uh, made their NRL debuts. So I think that grind, that that mental that it's a mental grind as much as a physical grind isn't it like those demands of of full-time training so i i think i think when you've got a jets program you can ex- accelerate like that no i i can't cool. speak to sam walker and what he went through but um i think that that was a key part their involvement at jets was a key part of being able to accelerate them at into the uh into the senior squad yeah, well, the Willy Wonka golden ticket is that Jets program. Um, every every player that has played first grade through our pathways program or have been locals that have played match ball um, have come through those Jets program. And we've got um, five other players at other clubs um, who were also included in our Jets program. So... I would imagine, you know, giving you those, as I said, it's about 40%, 45% succession rate. So the proof is in the pudding. Joey, I cannot stress enough how much Craig and I are appreciative to have you on the tip sheet to talk 
in depth about how Parramatta works the century behind the scenes when it comes to junior development and all the you know you already mentioned the the sort of the people power required to get these you know just the training element of these teams uh, you know keep them going how much goes into it uh, it's always a blast mate thank you for coming on and having a big chat to keep us up to date with uh, the sort of state of affairs or state of the game when it comes to the pathways in the junior elite talent squad not at all John and I love talking to you in 60s um, and you know what sometimes when we have these chats uh, it, it allows me to reflect on the enormity of <laughs> um, you know my role and, and and how important our pathways programs are like you said so, nearly yeah. nearly 400 you know, yeah, young yeah. men and women uh, in the pathways yeah. and you know it's fair to say that the parameter will shoulder a significant load when it comes to uh, keeping the lifeblood of the game flowing. Well, well, some would say, well, I would certainly say that's why I probably I'm a little bit shorter than everyone else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate um, um, the, the assistance and the recognition uh, and the understanding that you um, give to your listeners. You've got a very loyal and great bunch of um, listening fans out there and, hopefully today can give them a little bit of a, a insight and a little bit more um, understanding of, of, of the Parramatta Reels development programs. Thank you so much, mate. And make sure you take care of yourself. Put your feet up for five minutes, have a nice coffee, and then uh, you know maybe just maybe relax for a couple of minutes before you get back into the, the churn. Good on you, Jono. We'll catch you soon, Joey. Thank you. See you, buddy. As always, a fantastic chat with Joey Grimer. Always awesome to have him on the show, isn't it, 60s? Mate, it's... One of the things that adds that star quality, we'll call it, to our podcasts. Yeah, it's an absolute privilege for us and the tip sheet to have someone like Joey on, and it really provides a whole stack of insight into how the Eels are travelling through their pathways. Let's get to the big part of this podcast, though, mate. It is the preview pod. We've got a whole stack of representative games to get through on state and a country level. Kicking it off tonight... It's the uh, Senior Women's State of Origin game. This one's taking place at GIO Stadium this year. Uh, North Sydney uh, has been the home or the stomping ground for this game for a few years. I think they went up to Queensland last year. and Now they're off to Canberra, where the uh, Blues will take on the Maroons, obviously. For the Eels, they've got a couple of reps in the Blues. We'll go through both teams, though. At fullback, it's the excellent Emma Tonegado. We saw her in full flight uh, in the NRLW this year. On the wings, Yasmin Clydesdale and, Kira, uh, sorry, and Tiana Penatani, Parramatta Eels, Representative number one in the centres, Jessica Sergis and Isabel Kelly. So a star-started back line there for the Blues. Kira Dibb and Rachel Pearson are the halves. In the front row, the other Parramatta rep, the outstanding Samima Taufa. She'll partner Millie Boyle with Keely Davis at dummy half. That's an excellent front row. Kezi Apps will captain the team on the edge, where Shalee Bent will be on the other side. Hannah Southwell is the lock forward. On the bench, you've got Quincy Dodd, Sarah Togatuki, Caitlin Johnson and Olivia Koenig. Extend the roster, Sam Bremer. Tegan Berry, Philomena Hanisi, the third ELD part of the squad, Taylor, uh, Talee Holmes and Corbin Baxter. Then we go over to the Maroon 60s, obviously another outstanding team. Uh, Tamika Upton, another incredible fullback. She'll be there in the number one. Emily Bass and Julia Robinson are the wingers. In the centres, we've got Ivania Polite and Shanae uh, Chisolka. I'm sorry, Shanae, I forgot that one wrong. In the halves, it's uh, Taryn Aiken and Ali Brigginshaw, who's also going to be have the C next to her name. In the front row, it's uh, Chelsea Lenarduzzi and Shannon Mato at dummy half. It's uh, Brittany Brayley Nati, uh, one of the, the two Brayley Natis, obviously their partners. She's going to be dummy half. Uh, in the back row, we've got Talisha Harden, Tasmin Gray, and Destiny Brill. On the bench, 
Lauren Brown, Jessica Elliston, Stephanie Hancock, and Tiana Rafstrand-Smith. Extended roster, Zahara Tamara, Karina Brown, Romy Teitzel, Kaylee Joseph, and Sarah Southia. So this one's kicking off 7.45 p.m. tonight at a GIO stadium, mate. Uh, these these clash between the Blues and the Maroons in State of Origin for the ladies has been really, really high quality across the last couple of years. Been nailed by the stuff too. Yeah, let's hope that it's... However, last night's result was a prelude to tonight's game with New South Wales being quite dominant over Queensland in the under-19s. But we do know that there's strike players all over the park for the Queensland team in this Origin game. Really looking forward to it. And tell me, in, would there be any player on any of the teams who would better encapsulate origin football than Samai Matalfa, just in terms of attitude oh, and toughness? Yeah, she. You, you talk about, I mean, it's a, a real big rugby league cliche, but built for origin, made for origin, right? And she is the epitome of that. She just plays so tough, so gritty, is not afraid of doing any of the hard work or any of the big, the big hits in defense. And she is just custom made for state of origin, isn't she? Oh yeah, but and that's probably where we're starting to see the the women's game develop because we're seeing the silky skills that are there with the playmakers. We're seeing the pace, that explosive power out wide, and of course in the forwards, just the the tough, powerful players that are there. The the and I, I mentioned Samai Matalfa, but I'm a big fan of players like Millie Boyle for the uh, for the Broncos, and uh, I, you know, you just see that the game has gone to another level, the women's game, and I'm really looking forward to watching this match tonight because I think, like you said, it's they've been real nail biters in the past, and with more players, and I'm not just talking about the established stars, but you've got those players that are emerging players that are going to have an impact in games like this and are going to be stars of the future. I'm looking forward to seeing how they uh, play tonight and, and I suppose herald in this exciting new era for Women's Rugby League. And the Blues looking to snap a two-game streak for Queensland. I think back in 2020, the Maroons won 24-18. And then last year, it was a real torrid low-scoring affair. High quality, but low-scoring 8-6 for Queensland. So this is a big one for the Blues to rest back control of the uh, trophy there. But yeah, this, this is, I mean, it's very hard to split these two teams, 60s. You look at the two fullbacks are outstanding. Those forward packs, you already mentioned uh, Millie Boyle, Hannah Southwell for the Roosters is outstanding too. Kezi Apps, the captain, very good as well. But you look at that uh, Maroons pack and, you know, that back row has been outstanding. Gray and Harden were very good. Destiny Brill was excellent in the NRLW. It is very, very difficult to split these two teams. And I think it might come down to a single score margin again. Yeah, look, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a two or four point difference in the match. It's going to be one of those games where, I guess, like any origin game, it could be just that that one play that makes yeah, the difference exactly. between winning and, and losing. And who, who's going to stand up and make it? For the Eels, obviously, we're looking for big games from Samima. And from Tiana, uh, Philomena, very not. I say very unlucky, but it's kind of like, how do you get her into the team? Because the quality of the, the, the roster is so good. She narrowly missed out. And obviously, Kennedy Charrington, I believe she uh, had a 
either a surgery or a rehab, which is why she wasn't considered for selection. So that's another ill that would have been right thereabouts uh, for selection for the Blues. But uh, for obviously still having a few pieces there is good for the club as far as building for the next or the upcoming 2022 NRLW season. But how do you see this one playing out, 60s? You know what? This is going to be a really, really tough game to pick. As I said, it was... Just looking at the two packs, okay, so you've got um, Samima Tau for a Millie Boyle as the, as, in the, as the props in the New South Wales team, and I think they've got the edge on the, on the Queensland props there. Um, look, I like, the, I like the edge that the, that the New South Wales forwards have. Um, looking at the, at the back line, Jeff, you can't go past Ali, Ali Brigginshaw and um, Tamika Upton for their their strike power, yeah. but you know Tonegado had such a strong season, mm-hmm. and um, like I said, it is so close between these two teams. Like the the talent levels across both the Blues and Maroons is razor thin difference. Yeah, look, I think gee, it's it's interesting because I think um, New South Wales. I think we've got the edge in the forwards. I think Queensland might just have a, a slight edge in the spine. Um, I don't think that's unreasonable. That that Queensland spine is excellent. You already mentioned Upton and Brigginshaw. We know that Browie Nighty's high quality as well. So yeah, that, you know, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's um, mate. Look, I'm I am going to go for a four point win to. The uh, to the Blues. When all said and done, I think the class factor for the Blues has just got that edge over the Maroons, and you know they've probably got a few more of my favourite players in the Blues side. So from both a head and heart perspective, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that four point win to the Blues. Yeah, I think I'll take the Queensland team to score first via maybe Tamika Upton. But then for the Blues to dig their heels in and fight their way back and get that single score victory, so it, it is very very difficult to predict the scoreline because twenty four eighteen back in twenty twenty is a you know healthy amount of points scored. Then we had the eight six cracker last year, so I don't know maybe it'll, it'll be somewhere in the middle like eighteen fourteen or something like that uh, going to the Blues. But yeah, seven forty five p.m. tonight at GIO Stadium. This one will be across all the major networks nine Foxtel KO. Make sure to tune in. And how good was it seeing the 19 State of Origin for the boys and girls last night be uh, broadcast, mate? That was a really big step forwards for that level of play. Yeah, it, I think to have commercial network coverage, and hopefully a lot of people caught that with the coverage on uh, GEM for the uh, ladies under 19s and then switching to Channel 9 for the male under 19s, and the quality of of the attacking play was just unbelievable, and they made reference to the last uh, just into the, the men's game because um, we've talked a little bit about the the women's hope, and that's a, a prelude to that. But they talked about how in the men's game that of the last time that the match was played, that all bar two players had had played NRL since then. Now, we should mention 
that the last time that it was played back in 2019, yeah, I think it's been that it was an years. under 20s, that it was an under 20s clash as well. So the players were a little bit older, and uh, it it did make for interesting reading because uh, we had a couple of Parramatta players in there that did. Uh, we did see uh, Ethan Parry was listed in that team, and he did make his NRL debut. Played some games for Parramatta mm-hmm. before he's uh, he's now moved on. Um, and I believe he, Ethan's probably got a few things to to sort out before he looks at rugby league as a as a career. But he was heading for uh, bright a bright future at that stage, and he was one of those players to graduate from. Playing under nineteen, uh, sorry, under age origin. It's been a pretty good NRL. litmus test or indicator of NRL caliber talent across the years. So, if you're making those sort of squads, you're—I wouldn't say you're guaranteed, but you're certainly odds-on to at least go on and, and have a taste of NRL. Well, I have to say that uh, young Pezzet last night he had a game right game. out of the box mm-hmm. because. Uh, I don't think he was a lay-down selection for the halfback role. I know that Ethan Sanders was in the mix for consideration there. And we saw Pezzett play for the Victorian Thunderbolts just uh, a couple of weeks back up at Kellyville. And he had a solid game in that match, but he didn't have the sort of game Anywhere that we saw. Anywhere near what we saw there on the, on the oh. higher level. Yeah, he's obviously stepped up to the plate and absolutely delivered. Yeah. So, anyway, it was um, as you said, it was great to see the 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 big stage that they were put on last night. They even uh, and and we should also mention that the Lebanon versus Malta men's game was played on Wednesday night with Lebanon running out fairly strong winners over Malta. It was it was a game that. Featured a couple of Eels players in the Lebanon side in Jabriel Kalashi and Eli Elzakim. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought Jabriel had a really, really strong game. Hey, and Across the three uh, games, I thought a handful of Eels really acquitted themselves well. You mentioned Jabriel. I thought big Larry Maikatutia was very good in the 19s. And then on the ladies' side of the game, Patessa Leo was very good. Uh, Ruben Charrington, uh, Talisha Maeva in the back row, very strong. She she's so rugged, isn't she? Sixties just attacks the ball with it in hand and, and in defense as well. So whole stack of eels having very very solid hit outs in representative level football. Yeah, and even though this is a preview episode, we just wanted to quickly mention uh, mention those results that we've that we've had already. So um, yeah, but and again that was uh, that Lebanon and Malta game was covered on Ko Sports, so they had a little bit of an increased platform that they were put up on for um, people to be able to watch the international game of rugby league with uh, nations that have oh, have been making inroads in, in the countries themselves. Now, I know the match was being played here, but they, they reference the games that have been played between uh, those countries and other European countries that are actually staged over in Europe. And Rugby league is anyone that goes and and has a bit of a look at the international game will see the number of countries that are either establishing rugby league competitions or are in the stages of establishing rugby league competitions. And they're not going to get to the Australian standard anytime soon. 
but it's just good that there is a footprint of rugby league in those countries and that when you have so many countries that are playing rugby league, that they actually end up with opponents to play against because they're all, you know, there's a lot of them that are at a similar stage of development. So when they play each other, you end up with competitive games. And that's really what they would be looking for at this stage of their development, that they have other countries to play against on the international stage and that the game grows as a as an international sport as well. So uh, I made sure that I caught that game on uh, on KO. And as I said, it was it was interesting from that perspective that the Lebanon team had none of their NRL players in there. It was all players that uh, were playing pretty much from New South Wales Cup level down, like through Flegg, um, Ron Massey Cup, Sydney Shield, that sort of stuff. And probably the Malta team had even less to choose from because I, I think apart from uh, Samet, who the former Penrith player who came back from England, I'm I'm struggling to think of any that... Yeah, there were, there were a few players affiliated with the role clubs, but it wasn't a whole... Uh, it was just a smattering rather than a whole selection of them. So yeah, th- yeah. Th- th- that was so, a game that probably was the, uh, the poorest in terms of NRL quality players, but they still put on a good show. Uh, but yes, the between that and then the 19th Origin, it was a great way to start Representative Week, which then obviously heads into that game tonight that we just previewed. And then we roll into Saturday where it is a mammoth day of football. Uh, we start with the return to New Zealand where it's not actually the, the men that kick it off, it's the women with the Kiwi Ferns taking on the Mate Ma'a Tonga team. Quickly go for these two teams, 60s. Plenty of NRLW players you're going to recognise here. For the Kiwis at fullback, it's Autumn Rain, Stefan Daly. On the wings, Madison Bartlett and uh, Caitlin Vahakolo. In the centres, Paige McGregor and Amy Turner. In the halves, it's Alashon Jones and Racine McGregor. Front row, uh, Aneta Noasala, Kristen Rota Dummy Half. Sorry, Crystal Rota Dummy Half, who was the captain as well. Then you've got Maya, uh, Maya Hill Moana. In the back row, it's Roxette Murdoch and Gata Kotoro Arakura. And then Georgia Hale at lock forward. On the bench, uh, former Eel Nita Maynard. Then you've got Charlotte Scanlon, uh, Kararina Wirakohu and Crystal Stowers. Extended roster is Carly Hansen, and then Haley J. Mansell. That's it. That's uh, only the two extended players. For the Matama Atonga, you've got at captain and fullback, Lavinia Tahalaliku. On the wings, Pierre Pritchard and Luisa Sakono. Centres, Haley Hifo and Matalio Fotomoala. In the halves, it's uh, China Palata and Keishan Hala. Front row, Tegan Dimmick. Is that in relation to Jim? But uh, Tegan Dimmick and then Natasha Panettone. We do have the one Parramatta representative here at um, Dummy Half, Shelly Malangi, who's been an incredible utility for the Parramatta Reels, been able to play, uh, I believe, in the halves as well as Dummy Half and in the forwards too. In the uh, back row, you've got Kimberly Nikua, Shannon Muru and Katrina Latu. On the bench, uh, Monika Samita, Kalasapani Hopawati, Anna Tamalolo, and then Amelia Murphy. Extended roster, Noya Fotumawala, uh, Talia Tavita and Eleanor Javier. This one kicks off at 1.10pm. It is the aforementioned return to New Zealand, which means it's out at Mount, Start, Mount Smart Stadium. This one will be broadcast on all three major platforms, 9KO Foxtel. And uh, what a way to kick off an absolutely huge, huge Saturday of international football. I think the NRLW has probably missed having the Warriors team in the competition. So... It's good to see that we've got the Pacifica players 
in the Ferns and the uh, Mate Tonga uh, women's squaring off there because I'm looking at that and I'm and I'm I really don't know which way I'm going to go in terms of the the winner with this. I'm assuming that the Ferns will win this, but oh, in I terms of New Zealand too, but it's a good team for Tonga. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I'm I'm going to be just kicking back and uh, enjoying the match. It's I, I'm as I said, I'll just make the prediction that the Ferns win it. But you know what rugby league means to the the Tongan people. It's I'm I'm, it's, I'm expecting a sea of red for this game in the next. It's going to be you know red versus black. I think almost like the that uh, 2009 semi-final for the Parramatta Eels and the Bulldogs. And what we saw with one of the last test matches between New Zealand and Tonga before COVID sort of shut everything down, where it might have been Mount Smart again or one of the other New Zealand stadiums was literally 50-50 split between the red of Tonga and the black of New Zealand. Yeah. Look, it's fantastic that I suppose the high-level rugby league is returning back to New Zealand. They've been without the Warriors team in both the NRL and the NRLW in terms of playing there. They haven't had an NRLW team, period, but they haven't had the NRL team there for so long. And we know that their match next week was a a quick sellout. People just keen to get back to watching some quality rugby league. And this is like, it's the the mouth-watering entree, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's it's an emotional day, isn't it? There is a, a lot... I wouldn't say at stake. It's, that's probably not the way not the way to put it. But there's just there's a lot to process for these teams for the for the men and women here, and eventually the Warriors when they get back next week. Uh, you know, it's been so long to get yeah. back, to get back home, and you know, Parramatta Eels fans in in a way can roughly it's not it's not the same because our our circumstances are way different. But having to go to A and Z for that entire period, it, it's similar. Like when you get back home, that feeling just overwhelms you almost as a fan. Yeah, well, we remember how it felt to have that first game back at what was then Bankwest Stadium. Mm. And uh, as you say, that feeling of coming home, we went through that before then as given that I'm a lot older than you, mate. The, yeah, when from, it was, from when it was coming from Stadium, Bill, yeah. Belmore, well, Belmore yeah. Oval that we played away at for about three or four years. That's right, and then coming uh, back well, to the... Yeah, it, well... 82, 83, 84, 85 away from home at Belmore. So it was a long time in the scheme of things. And to think that Parramatta played in, uh, won two premierships and played in three grand finals over that period of playing away at Belmore was was something else. But um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, just that, feeling in the lead up to the return to Parramatta Stadium and then to Bank West Stadium when it happened and living close as I do, driving past the stadiums and seeing it, seeing them both take shape from uh, demolition through to construction and taking a look close up, at, you know, just added to the um, that euphoria of the return. And you can imagine where how they feel over in New Zealand, the real rugby league people over in New Zealand that only being able to watch on television during this period of time. And we talked about the passion of the Tongan people as well. So I was over there when the, um, the, that Tonga New Zealand clash was, was played and it was just, and I mistakenly thought, 
I should be able to get a ticket. <laughs> nope. No, no, sir. No. Yeah, and for this game, the head says New Zealand. The heart, as as both the underdog and for the fact that Shui Malangi's there, says Tonga. But yeah, I expect this to be another very uh, emotional, physical game where I think Tonga are going to come out red hot and have a real crack at it. But I think the class in New Zealand probably prevails across the course of the entirety of the game. I mean, fullback Gordon Rain, Stefan Stowe, he's a very good player. That back line's great. McGregor, Turner, Bartlett, uh, they're all recognisable from the NRLW. Yeah, so I think the Kiwi Ferns will prevail here. Is that how you see it, mate? Mate, you, you actually just took the words out of my mouth because I think the that emotion is going to carry them, the Tongan team, for deep into the game. But then you'd expect that the class of New Zealand would take control. And look, I think they'll probably want run out comfortable winners. I mm-hmm. think the game will get away from uh, Tonga late in the first half, and they'll rally a bit early in the second half, and then the, it'll it'll again it will just get away from them. So, um, yeah, I, ex- I do expect a comfortable win to the Ferns, but I'm expecting to see plenty of passion in the contest. Okay, so we're in agreement there. And that brings us to our final game in the female space on Saturday for Representative Weekend, and it's the Cedars versus the Dames, Lebanon versus Malta. A couple of Parramatta Eel reps here. And this is probably the game we've got the, the least intel on against 60s, and we talk, we spoke about that with the actual male version of this game where it's just like there wasn't a lot of NRL contracted talent in that game. Here we've got a couple of Tashigao Eels that we are familiar with. At fullback, it's Debbie Dwahi, and then at halfback, it's Amina Kanj, who we've been more familiar with on the wing, but obviously she shifts into a more uh, important position for this game. But uh, these these two rosters got a few not availables or not known or not named players, so they're sort of either scrambling to fill spots or haven't quite just finalised their rosters ahead of the game tomorrow. Yeah, as you say, we're we're really having almost zero intel on this match with just that familiarity with the the Parramatta players. I thought. Um, Debbie Dewey had a very good season in the uh, Tasha Gale competition. I thought she was maybe even a little unlucky to not be named yeah, as the full I'll, I'll team of the year. Yeah, I was surprised for that. And then also maybe not to see her feature in some of the New South Wales selections. But I'm not sure what the eligibility is there because obviously turning out for Lebanon here. But yeah, this one kicks off at 5.30pm. It's out of Belmore Sports Ground, much like the male version of the game. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this team and and right now, Lebanon's missing a centre, the entirety of their bench. And for Malta, they're missing a winger, a hooker, uh, and their number 14. So uh, a bit of a finalisation to do for both those rosters there. And hopefully we can get a bit of feedback out of Joey next week or beyond on how um, Debbie and and Amina go. But yeah, this is just one of those, like like with the, the NRL version of this game, uh, a little bit shorter on the NRLW talent compared to the other games that we just previewed. Yeah, but again, it, it just continues that growth of the game in oh, terms of... Exactly. This is still... We say it's short in NRLW town, but this is still important because you need sort of like, you know, tier three, tier two teams starting to form and build and grow so they can take on the other teams and help elevate them and, and raise them up to a higher level of competition. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're given their own stage to play on and hopefully that you uh, they end up with uh, a bit of a roll-up out at Belmore with uh, Lebanese and, uh, and Maltese I imagine support. I imagine they'll be a pretty solid turnout for this one too, given 
the uh, the two teams at play there. I think there'll be a pretty solid crowd for Belmore. Obviously, we're back in Lebanon here, mate, between Debbie and, and Amina. We've got a couple of Parramatta Eels there, hoping to have big games. And, yeah, so I'm going to predict Lebanon to have a solid win here. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it must be an interesting process to go through because in the preparation for this, the in terms of declaring eligibility for different international teams and you'd imagine and and again I'm 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 having to suppose the the competitions that these ladies are coming out of simply because we haven't we haven't had the time to do the intel on any of the players uh, which teams they've come from whether they're coming from the Harvey Norman New South Wales uh, competition or whether they're coming from some of the local competitions as well so it's um, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that match plays out and anything we can find out post match with that. Maybe uh, I don't know how close Joey is, for example, with the uh, Malta team now, uh, but he might be able to give us a bit of mm-hmm. intel as to how they go about identifying players for these sorts of for these particular teams. Yep, exactly. So if we get any uh, sort of review news for that, we'll be sure to pass it on the next podcast. But yeah, just nice to have some Eels featuring in this game too. But that concludes the look at the uh, representative games for the ladies. We then switch gears to the men. We go back to Mount Smart Stadium, kicking off that follow-up game to the uh, Kiwi Ferns and Mate Ma'a Tonga for the ladies. The men will also come play at 3.20pm as part of that return to New Zealand. Obviously a watershed moment, we already spoke about that. For the Kiwis, this is one of our best teams in a long time, 60s. This is a formidable roster. At fullback, we've got Joseph Manu on the wings, Ronaldo Molotalo and Jordan Rappiner in the centres. The one, the first of three Eels to don the Silver Ferns jersey or the Kiwis jersey this week, Murata Niakore. He'll partner Petahiku in the centres. In the halves, the second Eel making his representative debut for the, or for the Kiwis, much like Murata. It's Dylan Brown. He's going to partner Jerome Hughes. And that's probably New Zealand's best halves pairing in quite a number of years. That is a very good seven and six combination. Captain the team in the prop forward role is Jesse Bromwich. Your partner, James Fisher-Harris, as one of the two bookends. Brandon Smith is the dummy half. The third and final eel, Isaiah Papali'i. He's on one edge with Kenny Bromwich on the other. Joseph Tappanay, arguably the form forward of the NRL so far. Uh, he's the lock forward. On the bench, Kieran Foran, Moses Leota, Nelson Osofa Solomona, and Britton Nakora round out a pretty beefy uh, set of forwards, plus Foz. Extended roster, Jordan Rickey, Dallin Latine Zelezniak, and Tamere Martin. What a story for Tamara, hey? Going from not playing rugby league due to that, I think it was a heart defect, to back to almost playing representative football. For Mate Ma'a Tonga, they've got uh, Tolatau Kula at fullback, which I believe, is that the Manly player? I yes, think, yeah, so, I think so. Yeah, yeah Kula, who's uh, very sharp on his feet, very agile and quick. Uh, on the wings, you've got Trish, uh, Christian, Christian Tuopolotu and Sione Katoa. For uh, Parramatta Eels, prospect and outstanding young player, Will Penasini, he's in the centres. He'll partner Moses Sui. That's a big back line there. Katoni Staggs, overlook for New South Wales. He's going to be playing 5-8 here for Tonga. He'll partner Talatau and Mone of the Dragons in the halves. Adam Fenua-Blake and Captain CSI Taki Aho are the props. Saliva Havili is the dummy half. Satili Tupanua, Keon Kolomatangi are the edges. Jason Tamalolo, the lock forward in a very big and dynamic back row there. On the interchange, it's Sony Luke, Hamole Olakawatu, Tavita Tatola, and Milwaukee Fodawaka. So Fodawaka, obviously a Queensland rep in years gone past, but he's playing, turning out for uh, the uh, Tongans this time, and Olakawatu, another outstanding young forward who was in the mix of New South Wales at one point. So 
couple of Origin caliber players or prospects there. Extended roster: Joe Ofengahi, Elisai Katoa, and Isaiah Katoa. So that is two very good teams. Uh, I suppose the the real knock on the Tonga team is probably a lack of quality in the halves. But Amone is a pretty good young player, and Stags. I mean, he's he's played five eight for the Broncos before, and while it's not conventional, uh, him getting more ball can sometimes be pretty devastating. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that about the halves with the Tongan team. I was about to say that one of the knocks on the Tongan team in in past internationals is that if they had a slightly stronger spine, that they would be close to unstoppable. Truly world class, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, and I look at I look at this as probably the most promising spine that they've had in that time. I'm not uh, I'm I'm not going to say the best. I think it's the most promising because really, apart from the you know Savili, uh, Saliva Havili's been around for a while, but with Amone, Stags, and Cooler, you are talking about players whose futures lie ahead of them. Yeah. And although you've really only got, well, you haven't got any of those three playing in the positions that they're playing in in the NRL because Amone is playing five eight, isn't he? In the um, for the Correct. St George, yeah, he's in the number six for St George. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Stags at centre and and Cooler at centre as well, and played a bit of wing. But yeah, I think they're the most most, most promising spine that I've seen. Oh, look, this is a really tough game to to predict because that New Zealand that New Zealand pack is really something else, isn't it? And then then you've got Hughes, who's arguably the number two half in the game. Well, he's, he's I mean, top five is a bit of a. There's some arguments he made across a few players, but he's, he's definitely in that conversation, isn't he? Because you're talking Cleary, Moses, Hughes, DCE, Adam Reynolds. Like, obviously, Reynolds hasn't been the most healthy of late, but you know that that's some seriously high quality uh, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Not not competition, but uh, crowd to be in, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's it, it's. I think the word you were looking for was field. Is it yeah, a field? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it is. And I think this is going to be one of those games. Uh, look, I think the, I think the Kiwis have maybe got the edge in the yeah, falls. Um, just, I look across the park and I just, that New Zealand team is very good. And I think it's a statement of intent to pick a player like Murata Niakore in the centers. Uh, yes. So that we're going to come at you and we're going to beat you physically. Yeah, so I mean that's a that's a fair challenge to level at that Tongan team because <laughs> they've got plenty of players that'll take up that gauntlet and give as good as they get. Uh, this is going to be an absolute barn burner. I think the crowd in this game is going to be, as the young kids say, cracked. They're going to be absolutely bumping and and really pouring in a lot of energy into this clash. I do lean towards the Kiwis here. I love Joseph Mano at fullback. I think he's going to have a big game. Like I said, I, I love the intent of picking Murata in the centres because he is an absolute hitman out wide when you play him in that capacity. Um, you know, Dylan Jerome Hughes is a fantastic pairing and that forward pack is just so good all around, isn't it? I mean, Jesse Bromwich, he's the old statesman of his pack, but after that, Brandon Smith, Fisher-Harris, Isaiah Papali'i, Joseph Tapene, they're all players either 
ascending to their prime or in their prime. And then with Kenny Bromwich, you've got another really rock-solid player that adds just consistency to the pack. Yeah, when you've got someone like Britton Nakora having to come off the bench, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. you've got a you've got a very strong yeah. pack there. Um, obviously, we've got the interest in the in the in this game because we've got four Parramatta, four Parramatta players involved. Uh, Will Penasini making his international debut? Um, does uh, you know, does Will match up against Murata in this game? They both got the three on their back, which doesn't mean much in the context of playing left or right for the centres. Uh, Sully plays left edge by trade for the Dragons because he did. He went up against Mitchell Moses in our game, so that means Will's probably in his preferred right centre role. Um, does that put him up? Against, where does Petahiku play? I, mm. So we we could see Eel v Eel here, and with uh, with Isaiah Papali'i and Dylan Brown also on the team, odds are Dill will be matched up against at least one of those Eels uh, somewhere. Well, we don't want to see them hurt each other out there, the Parramatta (laughs) players. Uh, But we know we're going to get a a brutal physical contest when these two teams are are out there because just the emotion that will be created out of their respective harkers is going to be something to really... It's it's almost going to boil over, isn't it? You can see that return to New Zealand, that return to international football for these two teams that have been so starved of it, so deprived of it for so long, yeah, it's going to be huge. Oh, just the, you know, we, we've been privileged to see a Harker up close and and just that, uh, you know. It, it, it is really, it's really it's hard a, to, it's a physical, to It's a real yeah, it's physical a, manifestation of what, of, of, of the feelings and emotions that are, that are coursing through these players. It's and, incredibly hard to qualify it, isn't it? it it's a, oh. such a unique experience. Like you said, it, you know, you just every like you have your hair standing up, you're, you, everything's tingling. You know, you can just feel the emotion of, of you know, especially for events like this because huckers are, are important for a number of things. Um, you know, it's not just a war dance now. Uh, it, you know, culturally, it's, just, it, it's used for so many important things for these young men and women too. Uh, and yeah, being able to experience something like this for the con- in the context of this is huge. Yeah, it's and it's one of those things too where you see that it takes a certain physical toll on the people involved in it. It's and it, I I often think that the team when you've got a couple of international teams, a couple of international Pacifica teams who who have their um, cultural challenge that they throw to each other with the the harkers that the team that can just put that behind them and move on with uh concentrating on the football is is the one that's going to get the early ascendancy so um yeah really looking forward to this uh great way to uh start off the um international contests on the weekend i'm gonna i'm gonna do all my tipping with my heart here I'll go for a New Zealand victory, 18-16, but Will Penasini to score first try. So get get all the paramaterials involved one way or another. Um, but, yeah, this is going to be an absolute barn burner of a game, 60s. I'm not sure how you see it. Mate, I'm going to – I think it's going to be uh, slightly higher scoring than that. I'm, I'm going to go for a New Zealand victory by 30-16. to 16. And I'm going to tip as the uh, first try scorer 
uh, cooler for uh, Tonga. So I'm expecting Tonga yeah, to was, take an early. I, I was looking at Kua, Penasini, and Stags as my sort of three Tongans that could really strike early and make a difference. So yeah, really looking forward to this game. And you know, sometimes you can have too big a game too early on the con- in the context of that full day of football. Maybe that's the case here where you know sort of emotions will boil over too much, but. There's plenty of quality football to follow from there, mate. As we go from Mount, mate, Smart. I've got I've got a question for you. There's because I haven't really uh, dug into the background of the vision, but there's vision out there of Brandon Smith with a Tongan uh, presentation and saying that he's he's Tongan from the waist down or something like that. <laughs> um, do, you, do you know anything about the I, context of that footage? That's I, I have the no, I have no idea. No idea. Smithy's a, a loose character at the best of times. <laughs> but uh, we, we mean we do know that a lot of these uh, Pacifica boys have dual eligibility for New Zealand or Tonga or New Zealand Samoa, um, you know, given their genealogy and going back for their ancestry. So, yeah, <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised if the Tongan boys have him on a little, uh, not, not a you know bounty on him or anything like that, but, you know, maybe there's a little bit of extra feeling in the game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just he is a character. He is a yeah, cheese, character. Yeah, Cheese is an absolute character. Uh, but that is the first of three huge games for the boys and the men uh, on Saturday. And we go from Mount Smart Stadium out to Campbelltown uh, with that new stadium out there, Campbelltown Sports Stadium, where we've got a double header for the Pacifica boys, starting with Samoa versus the Cook Islands at 5.40 p.m. And uh, look at these two teamless quickly. Uh, we've got one representative here over in the Cook Islands side. We'll get to him shortly. For Samoa, at fullback, it's Penrith player Charlie Staines, Taylor May, and oh, it's a lot of Penrith boys actually in this back line. So Taylor May's on one wing. You've got David Nofaluma on the other. Isaac Tago, the other Penrith boy that I was trying to mention there, in the centres of Jackson Paulo. So that's an all NRL or NRL uh, reserves with Charlie Staines back line there. In the halves, Chanel Harris-Tavita and Anthony Milford actually round out one of the better halves pairings you're going to see in the Pacifica tests right there. In the front row, Martin Tapau and Francis Molo will be bookends for Jazz Tavanga. Very solid front row. In the back row, Josh Schuster, Jaden Sewer, and Josh Alioi. Or uh, what, what's his name? How did... Uh, uh, Oshayole. Oshayole, there we go. Josh Oshayole <laughs> is locked forward. That is a very solid forward pack and back line for Samoa. Jeez. On the bench, Fa'amanu Brown, Keenan Palacia, Spencer Lenu, and Bunty Afoa. Uh, so outside of Fa'amanu Brown, who's more of a reserve grader these days, that's three NRL players in Palacia, Lenu, and Afoa. And then extend the roster, Matthew Finyai, uh, Ronald Volkman, and Tafoafoa Sipley. For the Cook Islands, at fullback, we've got Kayo Iro. On the wings, Stephen Masters and Malachi Morgan. In the centres, it's Anthony Gelling and Ruben Rennie. In the halves and captain the team, it's Isan Masters. Halfback, Reese Joyce. In the front row, Vincent Rennie and Tinarau Arona. Dummy half, Aaron Taroy. In the back row, it's Brendan Piakura, one of those Brisbane Wonder Kids who hasn't seen first grade this year given how well the Brisbane Pack is doing. But partnering him in the back row, it's Pride Peterson Rabadi. Lock forward is Xavier Wilson on the bench. Jeff Daniela. Jeez, that's a blast in the past, Jeff Daniela. Uh, Moses Navoa McGreal. Davey Mowali and Paramatorial prospect, but first grader, Makhesi Makatoa. Really surprised Mac is not starting looking at that team there, but I don't know, maybe there's a method to the madness. Extend the roster, Ruben Porter, Brody Tamarua, Andre Iro, and Lucky Pocky Pocky. Like I said, this one kicks off at 5.40 p.m. Um, you know, hopefully the Cook Islands can put up a good fight here, but that is a very good Samoan team. 
Well, look, you've got the likes of Fee Guy, Volkman, and Sipley who can't, can't make get a look in. I know, exactly. That says a lot about the state of the Samoan football team, which is a very, very good thing. I mean, that back line, um, I'm not huge on Charlie Staines, but he probably should do well at this level. But Taylor Maine's been very good in our level. Ditto for Isaac Tago. Uh, those two Penrith backline players have been fantastic for a team that's only tasted defeat once this season, by way of the Parramatta Eels. Uh, but David Nofaluma adds plenty, uh, you know, regardless of what you think about him for the Tigers, adds plenty of experience to that backline. And yeah, just that harsh pairing. Milford's come back from uh, his long layoff uh, due to some off-field stuff that he was found not guilty of. But he's been very good for Newcastle. And, he, you know, he has a very good potential partnership there with Chanel Harris-DeVita. Mate, I, you have to be honest and you go, this could be a one-sided yeah, affair. Yeah, I mean, there could be some twists and turns here, but looking at these two teams on paper, they've got the dynamic presences in the back line. They've got a really solid forward pack. Tapau, Molo, Schuster is a real wild card. He can blow the game open. Sue is the hard nut. Uh, Oshay Ole is a rock-solid lock forward. This this just screams to me of a big Samoa win by 20 or even 30-plus. Yeah, and I... I I have to see that that's pretty much how... Well, I have to say that's pretty much how I see it. I don't want to really predict a scoreline here because it's... I think it's a mismatch at that... At, especially given that there's there are some Cook Island players that uh, haven't been selected because... Well, uh, Murata's a, a classic For, example of that. Cook Island repping, but he got his New Zealand debut... Once again, we, we speak about that dual heritage that these Pacifica boys often have. That's an example of them losing one of their best players to New Zealand. So, yeah, Cook Island's probably doing it tough here on the selection front. They've got a handful of NRL calibre players there. I mean, Stephen Masters has played a little bit. Uh, Esam Masters has been there for the Titans uh, and obviously the Cowboys and Tigers before that. And then Pia Kura is a talented back row prospect, but then the, probably the one that's playing the most consistent first grade is Macca. And he's on the, he's on the bench for whatever reason. So, uh, yeah, this this is going to be a tough assignment for the Cook Islands. I am looking forward to seeing how the Samoans play here. I mean that that spine they've got there, Tavanga, Milford, uh, Harris, Devita, and Staines, that that is a bit of a building block for pushing them back up towards almost Tonga levels, maybe. So, uh, this could be a big game for them to start laying a platform towards bigger fish in the international pool. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, we we have expectations with how that's going to go. Um, we have interest in seeing how uh, Samoa develop as an international team, getting them up, as you say, towards that Tongan level within the uh, standings of the game. And rounding out a Super Saturday of international football as part of that double header that I mentioned at Campbelltown Sports Stadium, Papua New Guinea are taking on the Fiji Bati. So it's the Kumuls versus the Bati here. And Fiji and Fiji's named a very good team, but Papua New Guinea shouldn't be slept on here. At fullback, it's Alex Johnston. On the wings, you've got Robert Darby and Terry Wapi. In the centres, captain of the team, it's David Mead. And then the powerhouse, Justin Olam. Well, he's an absolute sledgehammer in the centres. He'll be there doing plenty of tough work. In the halves, Kyle Laybutt and Lachlan Lamb. Laybutt got a bit of... I'm not sure if he ended up seeing NRL with the Cowboys, but he was in their pathways for a while. Lachlan Lamb, obviously, at the Roosters, and he's played a fair bit of first grade at this point, so he'll be a good head to lead them around. Then in the front row, you've got Epel uh, Capinius and Sylvester Nemo, dummy half, Ortovo Puara. In the edges, Dan Russell and Nixon Putt. Put. 
And then lock forward, it's Jacob Alwick. On the bench, Liam Horn, Emmanuel Wayne, Mackenzie Yeh, and Dilbert Isaac. Extended roster, Junior Rop, Sherwin Tanabe, and Solo Wayne. For Fiji. And there was a little bit of confusion as to which Eels were playing here up until yesterday, 60s. But we do have two representatives for the Barty. But at fullback, we start with Snua Taruva. On one wing, it's Dragons winger Mikhaili, not Rakawi, Mikhaili Ravalawa. And then Parramatta Eels winger coming off a huge game against the Roosters, Mike Asivo. In the centres, Semi Valame and then Wanga Blake, who was the player we mentioned that we weren't sure if he was in or out. There was conflicting reports. He is in. Big inclusion for Fiji. Obviously, Wang is a very, very good player. Captain the team at 5'8", if it's Kevin Naguama. And then at halfback, you've got Natua Masima. And then in the front row, you've got Joseph... Uh, I'm sorry, Joseph. Uh, Ratuvaka Saravalu, uh, who will also be partnering uh, current Melbourne Storm player and one-time Parameters prospect Tui Kamikamika. At dummy half, you've got Penioni uh, Tagatua In the back row, bootstraps Bill Kikau. He's uh, obviously one of the high-profile players included in this game. He's in, actually, as one of his biggest critics across the last few years, 60s, he has been an incredible touch. Uh, I think Kikau is in career best form for both, uh, not just attacking football, but especially his defensive football. So he's going to be a huge inclusion for the Barty. He'll partner Taniello Sudrugu and then Tane Milne at lock forward. Milne more familiar as a centre or winger, I suppose, but... You, you sort of take what you got and put them where you can. On the bench, Isaac Lumi Lumi, Pio Secchi, Lamar Manuel, Leo Lavave, Kalen Miller, extended roster, Ralulu Nasoki, uh, Wangasaga, uh, Kiolevu, Kualevu, uh, Masaki Kurukitoga. Jeez. Sorry, to all the Fijian and Papua New Guinea boys have made a mistake to any of your names there. There are some impressive surnames in there in particular. But yeah, this one kicks off at 7.50 p.m., out at Campbelltown, as with the other games uh, for the Saturday slate, you can catch us on all major platforms, Nine, Foxtel, Chaos. There is no reason to miss this if you can't get out in person. You can certainly watch it across uh, TV, streams, apps. There's all sorts of things you can catch this one. They'll catch these games on 60s. Um, this is a very hard game to pick because, you know, Fiji's probably got the edge in terms of recognised NRL talent. We already mentioned uh, Kikau, Kamikamika, Blake, Sivo, Ravalawa, uh, I mean, Sammy Valame has a bit of first-grade experience at Canberra. Kevin Aguama's back playing for the Roosters. But uh, I look at that that Cook Islands, sorry, Papua New Guinea team, and Alex Johnson, a fullback, is going to be a big uh, point of difference. Lachlan Lamb in the halves gives them the more experienced playmaker in the spine. So, yeah, this is uh, uh, close to a coin flip in my books. Yeah, I, I, I think Fiji end up winning this comfortably. You've you identify the likes of Johnston and um, and uh, Justin Olam and and Lachlan Lamb at providing the class factor to the PNG side, but then you look at um, the likes of uh, of Kikau and Sivo um, and Wonga Blake uh, and even Ravalawa. He's been pretty good for the Dragons this year, yeah. Ravalawa, oh, he, so. yeah, been been sensational. I, I just think the look the Papua New Guinea team has never been big in terms of size, and I just don't think they're necessarily going to have the size to deal with the Fiji team. I think it's going to be closer than the uh, Samoa Cook Islands clash, but I expect Fiji to win comfortably. I think Papua New Guinea will acquit themselves quite well, but really you're talking about the class factors just going to be a bit too high for Fiji. Now, the interesting thing is 
that I think Fiji has underperformed in a lot of recent international competitions. I agree. And uh, and and PNG, on the other hand, has has probably um, overperformed in a way. They've um, which could be somewhat of a leveling factor, even if the Fijian squad is better on paper. Yeah, exactly. So that's probably that's probably where the unknown is, and and how strong an influence their class players are uh, in the PNG side. So maybe it's going to come down to the attitude that the teams take this take into this game. If if Fiji have uh, taken anything like the attitude that I'm suggesting that they win this comfortably, then maybe they don't because I don't think you can take P, uh, PNG lightly at all simply because of the passion that they have for the game of rugby league where it's the national game and all these players that we don't know too much about that are obviously playing up into up in the uh, Queen, uh, Q Cup competition and spend a bit of time together that's that's probably might just give them a slight combination edge the so big, the big hang up i have looking at this fijian team is just a, a huge question mark over the playmakers I mean, Kevin Aguama, we're familiar with him as a winger and maybe a centre. He's playing 5'8". Uh, yeah. And, I mean, Natur Massima, I'm not sure which pathways he comes from. Let me have a quick Google. And maybe the Cowboys? Uh, maybe the Sharks. So I'm just not sure of the of the calibre of their playmakers. Not, not so much from being able to run the ball and maybe score a few tries here or there, but it's the... The, the bread and butter, the you know the meat and potato stuff, where you got to clear the uh, clear your fifth tackle kicks and whatnot. That's where they could come undone a little bit. And that's where I think that uh, Lock and Lamb and, and Kyle Labert, even if he's not an NRL uh, recognised player, he is a halfback through by trade or in the halves by trade, which I think might give the uh, Papua New Guinea the Kumuls a chance to get into the grind and maybe bring this game a little bit closer than we expect. Yeah. So I look, I'm. I'm still going to go for a score scoreline of 36 to 18. So I'm I'm tipping a Fiji win by about uh, you know by the three converted tries, which yeah. is quite significant. But I'm I'm feeling that that might come late in the game that where they kick away. So I, I was thinking a little bit similar. I was going 32 22 Fiji, and I'll back our boy Micah to get a hat trick, and I will break down State of Origin game two by myself with 60s having real-life responsibilities, calling him away from the microphone, unfortunately. I quickly go through the two teams as the New South Wales Blues and the Queensland Maroons travel cross-country to Optus Stadium in Perth. This one kicks off at 7.50pm on Sunday night, so it's a late, late kickoff. Uh, so if you've got any kids going to school the next day, I, I don't envy you. It's a rough one. But for the Blues, we've already spoken about this in a previous podcast with Spiro, but there's a number of changes uh, out is Jack White and Katoni Staggs, Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Ryan Madison and Tariq Sims. In is Angus Crichton, Apisai Corusau, Jake Dubojevic, Matt Burton and Siasifa Talakai, plus a whole stack of extended players there too. Looking at the two teams though, you've got James Tedesco, fullback and captain on the wings, Brian To'o and Daniel Tupo. In the centres, Matt Burton will partner Stephen Crichton with the Blues making two changes, one enforced, one not there. Uh, Crichton coming in for the COVID riddled, uh, riddled's probably a bit too mean, but the COVID infected uh, Jack Whiten, while Matt Burton replaces Katoni Staggs, who was dropped. In the halves, we've got the penniff pairing of Jerome Luai and Nathan Cleary. Front row, Payne Haas, Jake Dubojevic, Apisai Corusau, props and dummy half, respectively. In the back row, Cameron Murray, Liam Martin, and Zaya Yo. 
on the bench, Damian Cook, Angus Crichton, the lone Parramatta representative, Junior Barlow, and Siosifa Talakai, extended roster, Nico Hines, Joseph Suwali, Jordan McLean, Quentin Gufferson, and Victor Radley. For the Maroons, they've just got a couple of changes here. Ruben Cotter, Hamstring, Xavier Coates, Sinismosis, they're both out uh, due to injury, so no enforced changes there. Going through the team, Kalen Ponga is the fullback. You've got Selwyn Cobbo and Murray Talungi on the wings. Valentine Holmes, who was in sensational nick in the back line. He'll play one of the centre roles with Dane Gagai, the other. Cameron Munster and Dowie Cherry Evans, who was captaining uh, the 5'8 and halfback, respectively. In the front row, you've got Lindsay Collins and Josh Papali'i as the bookends. Ben Hunt is the starting dummy half. Back row, Kurt Capewell, Felice Kafusi, and Tino Fa'asuma Ali as the locked forward. On the bench, Harry Grant lets him go up-tempo from dummy half. Then you've got Jai Arrow, Patrick Carrigan, and Jeremiah Nanai rounding out the big forwards on the bench. Tom Dearden, Thomas Flegler, Bo Fermore, Corey Oates, and Reese Walsh are the reserves. This one, ooh, I mean, we already spoke about it with Spiro. It is hard to pick. New South Wales, very reactionary here with their selections. Obviously, we were disappointed to see the Parramatta pairing of Ryan Madison and Big Reg dropped. Uh, I know that uh, Maddo probably didn't set the game alight in State of Origin 1, but I think he played during a flow of Queensland possession where it was difficult to establish himself as a forward. And for Reg, I'm not sure what they wanted from him. He had you know, really sold numbers in terms of the meterage, a couple of really big defensive plays, including a, a huge try-saving tackle late in the game down that left sideline uh, where a prop forward had no right to be making the tackle. Unfortunately, they are the collateral damage of that one try loss, though, as uh, Freddie Fittler and Brandy Alexander uh, reach deep into their pocket for what they think is the, the bag of answers here. Yeah, we, we spoke about it with Spiro, um, 60s and myself. This one is very difficult to tip. Queensland have the edge when it comes to consistency. They've got the momentum. They've got a lot of players in really, really good form. We look at those Cowboys guys, mentioned Valentine Holmes, uh, but you know they're just looking really good across the park. Jeremiah Nanai, Patrick Carrigan on the bench was sensational in game one. I hope the Blues get up. I will tip a Blues win, if only for the sake of keeping this contest alive. Uh, but it's hard to see a big win coming out here. This one's going to be tight, and I'll go the Blues to win 20 to 16. So, and um, 60s hasn't got his tips in for me. But uh, if I go first try score here, geez, I don't know where to go. Well, uh, maybe with Appius Sycorosa around the ruck, maybe he might sneak over if the Blues forwards fire up a little bit more. So maybe I'll go Coruscant first try scorer. And yeah, like I said, 60s hasn't got his tips in because of real life responsibilities calling away from the microphone. That's all good though. We can still have a good preview there. And that rounds out a massive weekend of representative football. Started with Lebanon versus Malta on Wednesday night. Going right through to the Blues versus the Queenslanders. Out of Perth on Sunday, late Sunday evening. And yeah, hope you enjoy it, boys and girls, because it is an action-packed week of football. I think there's 23 Parramatta Eels across all those different games being represented. Let me, yeah, 23 Eels named in representative squads. So a huge, uh, huge honour roll for the Blue and Gold there, which is really good to see. And hopefully we can uh, keep the wins rolling because I think Parramatta Eels have been involved in each and every win so far. We had in Lebanon, we had uh, Kalache and Ellis Gahem. Obviously in the two 19s teams, we mentioned Big Larry plus the six representatives for the girls in the 19s, and tonight we're going to hopefully get Samaima Taufa and Tiana Penatani on the victors' role, and then roll that into all the Pacifica Test matches in State of Origin too. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving myself and 60s a listen. I hope you really enjoyed that chat we had with Joey. It is always really, really nice to be able to touch base there and get a look at 
how the juniors pathways are progressing. Really good to see the Jets program back in place after that COVID-enforced hiatus. Um, if you are enjoying our content, make sure to check out thecumberlandfro.com. Plenty of extra stuff there, whether it's post-game, pre-game, or opinion pieces. We have everything covered, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you, guys.